The hot coffee touched his lips as he made every effort to wake himself up on this abnormally cold Friday morning. Long day ahead of you, huh? Tom's wife, Anna, said, walking into the living room wrapped in a blanket. Yeah, Tom responded. There's a new case that was given to me last night. Some freak killed his wife and two kids and, well, he fled into Malior National Forest. Guess I'm the leading investigator. There was evident disgust in his voice. She put her hand on his shoulder. I love how you take these cases personally. It shows your caring nature. A smile emerged on Tom's wife as he placed his hands on hers. After a minute, she turned back into the hallway and slipped into their bedroom. Tom looked at his watch. It read 5.49 a.m. With a final gulp of his coffee, he was on his way out the door to the car. Tom had lucked out. Getting a house five minutes away from his office, he could stay home later before heading out. The short drive was normal at first. In the morning, the quick drive through Baker City, Oregon, had few obstacles and nearly no traffic excluding the occasional car that drove by. Suddenly, about two minutes away from his office, Tom noticed an orange flashing light ahead. As he approached, he noticed that there had been a car crash. A car was flipped off the road, and there were two people there directing the few cars that passed by. Thankfully, since there was such little traffic, it caused no delay in his commute, and Tom arrived at work on time. Sliding his ID card across the scanner, Tom stepped into the large brick building that he had known for the last eight years. Typically, Tom was the first one to the building, so it was a surprise when he saw his boss and co-workers standing in the office room. Tom, it's about time. His boss, James, exclaimed. Tom took a double take on his watch and reassured himself that he wasn't late. I tried calling you three times, left a message each time. Checking his pockets, Tom realized that he didn't have his phone with him. Dave is, uh... Dave's gone, James said with tears in his eyes. A feeling of shock went over Tom's body as he heard those words. The second-in-command and the head investigator had always been a kind man. He was very loving to his family, friends, and anyone he met. It didn't seem right that someone like him could be taken from life so early. Wow, I, uh... Tom tried to utter up words, but he was left speechless. I need you to go to Malor. James spoke abruptly. Tom froze. He had never left the office for any case or investigation. He was always leading the team in information, but he never had any fieldwork. Dale here will take your spot in this case. Tom was speechless. We, uh, we need you to do this. There was a sense of weakness in James' voice that Tom had never heard before, leading him to accept the request. You'll still get Gene and Corey to accompany you as well as the BCPD. I wouldn't send you out there alone against a possibly armed suspect. How did he... It was a car accident. James cut Tom off. Now, get ready. You're heading out once Gene and Corey get here. 
In a trance, Tom walked to his office and slowly opened the door and immediately sat in his seat. Nearly asleep, he was startled by a knock on his office door. Come in, he announced to the unknown guest. Gene and Corey stepped into the doorway. Hey, are you ready for our first action case? Gene said with a bright white smile. Tom forced a smile on his face. Yeah, he replied, sitting up. The three left the building and entered the large black SUV and drove off. The two-hour drive was quickly over. The shake of his shoulders, Tom was awoken by Corey, who quickly spoke. We're here. Make sure you're wide awake. With that, the three exited the car and met up with Baker City Police Department. There's one main trail that goes right through the forest, but the suspect could be hiding anywhere. Tom spoke for the first time in a while. He's about five foot seven, short blonde hair, he continued. Everyone looked at him and took note of the information and continued with their conversation. The group of seven made their way to the entrance of the thick forest. Upon entering the forest, the group was instantly hit with a strange feeling. They all knew everyone felt it, but they also decided to ignore it. They were on a hunt for a dangerous man. Of course, they were going to feel uneasy. Peering into the sunrise-lit forest, the group assured they had everything they needed and entered, guns ready. Let's split up here, cops said once they were a good ten minutes into the woods. If you see or hear anything... Announce it on the radio. We'll all get to you as fast as we can. Everyone nodded in agreement and took different angles into the dense, twisted forest. Though the sun was rising higher overhead, it appeared to be getting darker. Tom looked up to see if he was under thick tree branches, but he could visibly see the blue sky. Rubbing his eyes, he continued, walking for what seemed like an hour. Tom noticed something, and it looked like an old building. Hey guys, I see what appears to be an old building. No response. Guys? And quickly, there was a voice on the other side. Don't go near it. Turn away now. Tom was astounded at the deep, mysterious voice that answered him. Are you sure he could be hiding? Yes, I'm sure. Leave now. With that, Tom lowered the radio. He was about to turn away when he noticed the man stumble out of the building. The man looked up at Tom and stopped all movement. In an instant, the man rushed Tom, who instantly drew his gun. Stop right there, Tom announced. This was clearly not the wanted man, but this man was very rugged looking. He wore tattered clothing, his face covered in dirt and his long, greasy hair swung up in the wind. You stop, Tom announced one more time before the man noticed the gun and froze. You've got to help me, the old man spoke, tears in his eyes. They won't leave me. I've tried so many times, and they always find out. The man dropped to his knees. They probably know we're talking right now. Who is this they you're talking about? Tom asked skeptically. But before the man could answer, there was a loud yell thundering from the direction of the building. No, 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 the old man yelled. 
I've got to go. Take this. Read it. Get more people. Save me. You can't do it alone. Come back and I'll try to survive for a little longer. The man tossed Tom an extremely old folder. Tom was very confused but said nothing as the man ran back to the building. He quickly decided to turn away and head another direction. After walking a good distance, he met up with Corey and another officer. Any luck, Tom? Corey said, tossing him an energy bar. Tom didn't reply. Dude, what's wrong? Looked like you've seen a ghost. Nah, nothing. Just tired, he said, unwrapping the energy bar. The two looked at Tom suspiciously then went back to their conversation. Tom's mind was wandering while he adjusted the folder under his jacket. Should he tell the others what he had just seen? He decided he would examine it at home first. So why was it so important to avoid that building? Tom muttered. What building? Corey asked. Didn't you hear me on the radio? I came across the building, but someone told me not to go near it. Tom replied intently. Uh, I didn't hear you, Corey replied looking at the police officer who shook his head. Neither of us did. Sure you're okay? Tom knew the voice didn't sound familiar. It must have been one of the other officers whom he didn't know. I just feel a little ill. Well, we're about to call it quits anyway, Corey replied. The three signaled by radio to meet back up at the vehicles, and one by one over the radio replied copy, none of which sounded like the voice over the radio. Everyone was at the vehicles. They all had an upset look on their face. Well, started Jean. Same time next Monday? We'll meet up on the other side of the forest and hopefully cut them off. Everyone agreed and got into their vehicles and drove off. When Tom finally arrived home, he went straight to his office room, laid out the folder, and got a cup of coffee. His wife worked later and usually got home around midnight, so he used this time alone for whatever he wanted. The folder contained many loose, tattered papers that were worn but clearly legible. The paper wasn't lined, but rather rough. He grabbed the one on top and began... I don't remember what happened. All I know is I woke up here. I sat up and was extremely dizzy. I started writing this a couple hours after I woke up because whatever is going on should be documented. I'll update anything I find out. Crawling around the dark room, I found a bowl of food. Tastes awful. But it's nice to have something in my stomach. Also, there's a sink with water that I could drink out of. At least, whatever this is, I have necessities. I also notice there's a door. I'm unsure if I'm supposed to open it or not, but the confusion is killing me. Tomorrow, I will open the door. I'm getting rest right now. There is a small gap between paragraphs. I open the door. Peering outside, I saw trees. I also observed that I'm currently in a nice wooden house. Tom paused to think. That house was extremely old and worn. How could it have been considered nice? Tom continued reading. 
I stepped outside and breathed the nice fresh air. I didn't see anybody around still, so I decided to walk around and see if I'm the only one. I noticed a couple of other houses and what looked like an abandoned mine shaft. I decided to check out one of the other houses and upon arriving, I had an unnerving feeling that I was being watched. Chills were sent down my spine and my skin became as coarse as sandpaper. I peered over my shoulder and I didn't see anything. I turned the other way and I swear I heard a crash come from the mine shaft. But I was too frightened at the time to check it out, so I decided to run back to the house I awoke at. And here I am. If anything happens tomorrow, I'll keep you updated. I swear I'm not losing it. Now I know I hear voices, distant clashing sounds, murmured chanting noises, even quiet breathing. There was more food in my bowl this morning. I haven't left my house today. I'm not sure what anyone wants with me. I'm just getting into my adulthood. I never did harm to anyone. That line baffled Tom. I'm just getting into my adulthood. This time frame didn't seem to make sense. He decided to call that a night, hiding the folder in a secret compartment under his desk that not even Anna knew about. He crawled in bed and waited his wife's return. When she finally arrived, he greeted her by taking her bags and jacket and leading her to the bedroom. She was always exhausted after work, so he tried to make it as easy on her as possible. How was work? She asked. It was, um, it was different. He said, recalling the man. Well, what's so different? She replied. I'm just, uh, <laughs> well, I'm not used to field work, he chuckled. Oh, you had to go out today? She asked. He sat down and told her all about the accident and the resulting incidences, leaving out the strange man. After that, the two went to sleep. When Tom woke up and it was gone, there was a note on the table. Hey. I'll be home late today. Susan just invited me to her baby shower, so I'll be gone all day. Love you. He sighed, but quickly remembered about the papers and made his way to his desk. He found where he last left off and continued. Oh my. I saw the source of the noise. I knew I wasn't going crazy. It was terrifying. I thought it was going to kill me. I never believed in the superstitious or anything, but this has absolutely baffled me. It looked humanoid. There's no way anyone could call that thing a human. I saw it as I was walking back to the other house, determined to enter the other house to see if there were more like me. But on my way there, I saw it. It stood at the opening of the mine shaft, staring at me. It looked at me so menacingly that I thought it would kill me. My feeling was strengthened as it approached me. I tried to run, but I couldn't. I'm too weak with one meal a day, and the thing must be so fast. It grabbed me by the back of the shirt and threw me down. I started backing away on my back as it cocked its neck, examining me. Its eyes were pure white appeared to be free of pupils or anything, but 
it appeared to be staring me down. The next thing I knew, I was waking up in what I now call my house. I'm too scared to leave. I'm not sure what they did to me, but there's a small pinhole in my arm like a thick needle was inserted into me. This can't be real. I will update tomorrow. Tom sat back in disbelief. This couldn't be real. There was no way. The old man played a trick on him. However, he was still interested, so he grabbed the next sheet of paper. Today, one of those things came into my house and again, I blacked out. This time, however, I woke up in a very dark, damp area. Stone surrounds me, so I'm assuming I'm in the mine, but why? Thankfully, there's a torch next to me. Honestly, writing these events is the only thing I could do to keep myself sane. I need to look for a way out, though. Tom stood up with the paper to walk into the other room and continued reading. I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything. And I'm beginning to feel claustrophobic and... Sorry, I never finished that last sentence. As I was writing, I saw white orbs approaching from the distance. That's all you could see from them in this absolute darkness. Their skin is just as black as this cave. However, it grabbed my arm and I expected to black out, but I didn't. It pulled me up and led me to an incline, and we proceeded. I'm not necessarily smart, but this place seems much deeper than any other mine. Maybe I'm wrong, and they're all very deep, but we walked for what seemed like a half a day before arriving at sunlight. Once we were there, the thing pushed me out and stood in the darkness of the opening of the mine. I wasn't sure what it wanted me to do, so I headed back to the house. You know what? I'm tired of this. Why don't I just run away? I'm bound to find some civilization. Tomorrow I'm going to leave. Tom flipped to the next page. Upon trying to flee, I heard a god-awful screech emanating for what I assumed to be the mine shaft. I had a feeling they knew I was frightened, so I turned back and ran. Upon entering the small community, I noticed the small sign near the entrance that read, Greenhorn, Oregon. I'd often heard of Greenhorn. That would explain the mine because in the mid-1800s, it was a very active gold mine town. The federal government foreclosed it in 1901 because of land issues just five years ago. Tom froze. Those three words danced on his tongue. Five years ago. For the second time, the time frame didn't add up. This man was in his 40s or 50s in 1906, and then 96 years later, still looked the same? This was obviously a hoax, but something deep down told Tom otherwise. He thought back to the encounter with the man. He looked absolutely frightened. And the screech he heard, it was definitely not human. Tom was a very logical thinker. He couldn't stand not understanding just what was going on, so he continued. Well, it feels like it's been 50 years since I've written in this paper. 
I was taken down to the mine shaft but never returned. I only saw the creatures when they brought me food or water. For a while, I decided to try to end it all and not accept the offerings, but I quickly found out that wasn't an option. I would black out and wake up feeling full and no longer thirsty. These things want me alive, but why? I've navigated around this large open cave system. I found multiple human skeletons wrapped in mining uniforms. Were these miners killed down here? They all appeared to be in a pile, though it appeared as though they were brought down here and tossed after death. Being in total darkness with only a dim lamp is one of the worst experiences ever. I'm not sure how I'm not frail like an old man. I've got to be well over a hundred years old, and I feel the same as I did when I got here. I know I don't seem surprised at this, but after all, nothing surprises me anymore. Intrigued, Tom wasted no time reading on to the next entry. I finally found the incline the beast led me up before. I am free. I wandered slowly up the slope for what felt like days, but I made it. Finally, the sun burnt my eyes and skin at first, but I got used to it. As I walked by a building, I saw my reflection in the window. I hadn't changed in all that time. I've gotten used to the strange, unreal occurrences lately, but how have I not aged in the slightest? Pondering that among many other questions, I entered my house again. It's nice to lay on the bed, and I hear something. I think one is coming for me. I'll write as soon as I can. I'm not sure how much time has passed, but I know I've been out for a very long time. Upon awakening, I looked outside my door and noticed movement out in the forest. It was a man, the first human I have seen in decades. I almost wanted to yell for him, but I didn't want to get the thing's attention. Let me now note that there is at least three of the creatures. I've seen three at one time, but back to the man. He was an average height with blonde hair, looking as if fleeing from something. Though he was coming towards my house, he should have been fleeing away. He pulled a knife out from his pocket and rushed me. I didn't know what to do, so I yelled at him. He got to my door and I slammed it on him. There were thuds on the door before it finally burst open. I was on the ground and I had no way of protecting myself. I backed into the corner, but before the man could kill me, he froze as a pitch black hand coiled itself around his neck. He gasped for air, but the thing quickly crushed his throat. I was amazed. Why did it save me? I mean, why am I so important to them? And that creature stared at me with those spiteful eyes as if to say, I want to kill you, but I can't. And then it walked off. I'm done writing for today. Tom looked at the next journal entry. This morning I found a small article that gave me many answers. It claimed that the mine was shut down not because of land issues, but because the miners stumbled across something amazing. An entire underground civilization. 
lost through time and government secrecy. They quickly told the government which occupied it with an army. This army apparently cleared the place of the creatures and burned all the bodies. They wrote that the creatures were savages, eyes adapted to pitch black and skin darker than sin itself. That mine was so deep, not because miners dug all the way, but because these creatures have lived here for ages. This answers so many questions, but I'm still wondering, why do they want me alive? I'm not sure. But tomorrow I'm going to make another break for it. What are they going to do? Kill me? Dropping the papers in shock, Tom was unable to believe what he had just read. He quickly called upon the other six people and told them to meet up at the place they had the day before because of an emergency. They all did without hesitation. What is it? Jean asked frantically. Everyone looked at Tom because that was the question on all of their minds. Tom simply replied with, Follow me. Make sure you're armed. The group complied, yet looked at each other, exchanging worried glances. Walking through the thick forest, Tom found himself lost. He took a break and looked around. At first, he didn't notice it, but at a second glance, he saw what looked like a body in the distance. Running over there immediately, he found a body of a rugged old man, throat crushed still with fresh blood. No, 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 Tom repeated. The group quickly put the body in a body bag and looked at Tom. How did you know there would be a body? They all asked. I didn't, he replied. He looked up and saw a large fence around what appeared to be a small civilization. Tom slowly walked up to it. This wasn't here before, he muttered to himself. Looking along the fence, he saw that there was a large yellow sign further down, so he quickly went over to it. Before he arrived at the sign, he noticed a hole in the fence. It looked as if the fence was physically torn, like something with immense strength tore a hole in the metallic framework. He backed up. The sharp broken edges of the torn fence appeared to have a black flesh-like substance on it. Oh, God, no, Tom said. Let's get out of here. As he was running, he heard a police officer say behind him, Private government property due to land issues. Tom froze, slowly turning around. He saw that the man was reading the large yellow sign, that the man had indeed read correctly. Let's go, Tom said. Now, everyone looked at Tom in confusion. Why do you drag us out here and immediately want to go? Corey said. Why don't you just listen to me? Tom replied, still backing up. Now, nah, let's check this place out. A voice came up from the crowd. It says not to. You're a cop. You should abide by the rules. Tom replied. Listen, son, I'll tell you a secret. This is Greenhorn, an abandoned town that was a big gold mine. Well, hell, there could be bounties of gold in here. I'm not leaving. Well, then you're going to die, Tom said. He knew if he said why, they wouldn't believe him. The officer looked at Tom in disgust. Well, I always knew you were crazy. Frustrated, Tom turned and left to go to the cars and wait. He sat in his car for about three hours 
Tears built up in his eyes. He wanted to believe they were just occupied with searching the place, but he knew the truth. They were all dead. A week later, word in the newspaper was that six of a seven-person group were missing on a manhunt. A second group of investigators found a body in a body bag that forensic scientists were shocked to say had no DNA records on file. They also found a fenced-in government-owned ghost town. They didn't want to get mixed up with the feds, so they ignored that area completely. Tom decided to tell his wife about everything. She was absolutely shocked. He told her he wants to go look one more time to see if the government was there or not. Against her will, he went there. He laid behind a stump and watched. Nothing seemed to happen. Though every time he looked at the mine, he was struck with fear. Just before he was about to call it quits, he noticed something that made his heart sink. Something was moving in the mine. He didn't move. Not out of interest or curiosity, but he was physically paralyzed with fear. The figure emerged out of the mine, holding a stack of something. Managing the courage and motor skills, he pulled up his binoculars to see what it was. His jaw dropped and he vomited instantly. There were six bulls with what appeared to be human flesh in each of them. The creature carried it to the house where the old man had existed before, went in, and returned without the bulls. The creature walked back to the mine and disappeared. Tom fled as fast as he could and returned home. He told his wife the truth, that there was no government officials there, though he left out any other detail. He knew deep down that the rest of his group were living there, and probably will be for the next couple of centuries. Chapter 2 Two years after the Greenhorn case, Tom found himself promoted in the workplace to the highest ranking official in his office. He was very glad that this assured he would never have to go out into the field again. Going to Greenhorn scarred him for life, but he was coping with it. He reluctantly didn't tell anyone of the possibility of the group remaining alive, in fear that it would ultimately lead to even more unnecessary deaths. So he set to move on and try to forget. He successfully accomplished both goals. Tom's life was great. He was now making a good salary. He and his wife Anna had just had a child, and they had recently bought a brand new truck. Tom loved his new job. And being as organized as he was, he could find any folder anyone needed and get information to whoever needed it. He was the perfect man for the job. But it was his promotion, ultimately, that led to his ultimate fate. Tom worked at his new job for three years, being very successful and far more efficient than his prior. He had access to every single case. One day, he was searching through old folders, and he found one labeled Greenhorn. Tom froze. The case that he had worked in was labeled Malior Forest Killer. He remembered because it was he who had named it. Tom's heart began to pound when he realized he wasn't looking in a case file drawer, but in evidence and article drawer. He slid his hand on the old coarse folder 
debating on whether or not to unlock its secrets for the first time in a very long period of time. Taking deep breaths, he grabbed the folder, memories flooding his brain as he began to feel great sorrow that his colleagues could possibly be alive, being tortured as he sat there. He dropped the folder and began to weep. After taking a moment to collect himself, he opened the folder and saw a photograph. It showed five men surrounding the body of what must have been one of the creatures of the mine. Thing was awful. All five men had saddened looks on their faces, and he couldn't help but to feel bad for them. He noticed in the pictures the bulbous white eyes looking towards the camera on the dead creature. The next piece of evidence he found was a smaller letter that read, After examining the body completely, we have come to a conclusion that these creatures have independently evolved with humans. They haven't had the same environment as us and therefore have evolved far different traits. As for DNA, they are astoundingly close to ours, far closer than even the most similar of apes, but their small differences aren't so small. They have some chains of DNA that aren't even carbon-based, they're silicon-based. I mean, this accounts for about 0.001% of their DNA, but it's absolutely baffling. Their bone structures are similar to ours, but they have longer arms and legs. Their brains seem to be high-functioning like humans, which is very frightening. I would ask that you bring me one alive so that I can run tests on it. Thank you. Sincerely, Dr. Jeffrey M. Hawthorne. Tom found himself recalling the man whose story he had read three years ago. This evidence was helpful in filling in the blanks. He searched through the papers again, finding more photos of the creature, until he came across a photo of a dead man that looked to be a miner. His neck was visibly crushed. The caption of the photo read, Jeff A. Dahmer. A 12-year miner was killed by one of the creatures down in Hellhole. Tom thought to himself, well, that name seems fitting. Placing the photo into the pile of papers he was already examining, something caught his eye. It was named Short Story of a Hellhole Survivor. He grabbed the small booklet and opened it and started to read. I don't know where to start, so I'll dive right in. I've been a miner in Greenhorn for about seven years now. We moved here due to the high chances of finding gold. Well, this was the biggest mistake of my life. We discovered it in 1871 when we miners were working on deepening the mine shaft. We hit a hollow portion of the wall. We called all the miners over and began to pick at the hollow wall and believe it or not, it led to a chamber of some kind. Amazed, we found a stable doorway and stepped into the chamber which smelled of sulfur and damp air. It was almost immediately that one of the guys yelled gold. We all rushed over to see if he was bluffing, but he wasn't. There was the largest gold vein that I'd ever seen right there in front of our faces. Not only that, but he found the opening to an extremely long cave-like hallway that seemed to go down for miles. We all decided to go to the surface to alert our managers of the finding, but Adam, the man who found the gold, 
insisted on staying. So we let him. As soon as we reached sunlight, we heard what sounded like a guttural moan, followed by a scream of terror. Grabbing their pickaxes, a group of people ran down to see what the commotion was, while I and two others continued on our original mission. When we told him what we had found, his face went pale. At first, he was reluctant to tell us why he acted so poorly to it, but he finally caved and pulled out a folder. He told us how the natives warned the settlers about an underground people that are not to be disturbed. There are often paintings depicting tall, black creatures with white eyes standing over bodies of the natives. Now, this was enough for me. I decided to get my family move out of here. So I'll store this in the library and hopefully someone finds it. I hope this could be a help in any way. Tom was amazed at what he had just read. It was insane that this was even possible because... Before, he had never heard of Greenhorn, and he definitely wouldn't have guessed about the cave creatures. He stared over to see another photograph, but this one was different. It showed a pile of miners. They all appeared to be dead and tossed into one heap of death. That is when he recognized the section of the chamber that they were located in. That had been where the skeletons were. The bodies, however, were not the most frightening aspect of this photograph. Standing on the other side of the pile were the creatures, looking into the camera as if they were proud. Who had taken the picture? Tom asked himself in his head. That's when he found the article about Adam. It was said that Adam, the man who had initially found the gold, wasn't actually killed, but protected. He was set to retire very soon. He was at the age of 40. Greenhorn civilians reported seeing Adam trudge out of the mine in the middle of the night, only to bring boxes of stuff down back into the mine. Adam's family were mourning the death of their beloved when he seemingly walked past his own funeral. When people tried to stop him, he looked at them with such malice that would make a grown man shudder. He apparently had pitch black eyes, opposite of the creature's and surrounding those eyes, the skin was a rosy shade of pink. One man tried to grab him, but Adam shoved the man off with enormous strength and went home, came out with a box, and returned to the cave. Tom froze when he read the last line of the article. Adam was said to have a very deep voice that sounded inhuman, and when anyone wanted to enter the mine, he would yell from the bottom of the mine in his fiendish voice to not enter. Tom sat back in disbelief. Had it been Adam that told him not to enter? And how did he know the people were approaching? Things made less sense now than ever. Tom looked over to the folder and saw something that shocked him. An estimated eight miles deep into the earth's crust, Tom thought to himself, well, That'd be extremely hot, but he quickly shrugged it off as another of the creature's adaptation to their own environment. That was the final piece in the folder. Satisfied, Tom replaced them all and placed the folder on the desk. On the ride home, Tom's mind was racing, thinking about the creatures and everything he had gone through. 
He claimed multiple times to Anna that he was having terrible dreams of the creatures and that they kept looking at him as if they were looking into his soul with those pale eyes. This is where the story comes to an abrupt end, however. I wish there was more to say. However, the story from Tom's point of view came to an abrupt end once he grew tired of the horrible nightmares. Tom's lifeless body was found hanging in his bedroom by his wife that night. Greenhorn is completely forgotten now. It's not necessarily off limits, but it is warned to never go near it. That's the story of Greenhorn. Take from it what you will. There isn't anything more to say except the elephant in the room. Don't ever go near Greenhorn, Oregon. <laughs>